Hello and welcome to episode 84 of The Game Pit. I'm Sean and we've been travelling down to Eastbourne again. It's LobsterCon time, Ronan. It's time for a battle report, Sean. 125 people went to the Cumberland Hotel for, well, four days for most people. Could have been three, could have been five if you're an organiser. And we've got many games played. And because we get so many games played over these weekends, we'd just like to do a quick fire hit on a few of the games that we think we're probably not going to do longer reviews on. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, again, well done, and thank you, Ronan, for being one of the organisers. It was a, a wonderful event, lots of people had I lots only, of fun. I can only claim 96% of the credit, don't go too far. Fair play to you, fair play to you for stepping down. <laughs> but, yeah, we had, a, we had a wonderful time, and we got a few, well, actually, I had a really chilled out one. I had a lot of time sort of walking around on the beach this, t- this time, not really mainlining games, but I played my fair share. Cool, so we are going to give you 12 quickfire reviews hopefully it's not going to take too long and you'll get a taster for some of these and see whether there's something you would like to try out and as always we are very proud members of the dice tower network go there and to the dice tower itself for gaming goodness girl or if you wish to download our episodes we are on stitcher itunes and hotbean So we're going to kick off with clank with an exclamation mark. Clank. This <laughs> this is already number one oh six on Board Game Geek as a bit of a shooting star. It's from last year. One to four players with app support for solo play. Thirty to sixty minutes. It's a lie. It takes longer than that. From Paul Denon, his first design and Renegade Games. It's a deck-building fantasy game in which the players are all attempting to raid from a castle down a board, and that the map on the board is quite important, into a dragon's dungeon. You're going to be playing cards at your hand five at a time to move, to basically move around the board. There are different paths, some are more expensive, some are less expensive. You've got recruit points that are going to let you buy from a market of five available cards. It's not amazing synergies there but you can just get more movement or most of the time it's buy whatever is the most expensive as long as it doesn't ruin your deck you also have got available to swords you can buy now some of the paths on the map will either cause you damage or you have to spend a sword to get down them also there are always a goblin or with the expansion which i'm going to talk about there's always a fish which you can fight using swords on your turn which will earn you gold or there are other monsters that appear in that market and when you fight them they're gonna usually give you gold or some sort of award and it's interesting that when the monsters are available in the market they often have a detrimental effect on the game they cause everyone problems until they get defeated that gold i was talking about so you're going to be able to go to certain areas on the board you'll be market areas and you're going to be able to buy things from there so different to recruitment points and they might help you moving again especially in expansion there's an underwater area you can buy like a scuba that's going to help you out down there or you can buy yourself things just for points like crowns or you can buy yourself a satchel which allows you to pick up an extra artifact artifacts that's the whole point of going into the dungeon you're looking to get in grab an artifact or two if you buy a satchel and get back out again before the dragon awakens too many times and kills you how's the dragon going to awaken well the other thing that you cards can cause you is clank hence the name of the game and when you cause clank you put your clank cubes into a shared pile 
When the dragon awakes, which is usually either from a flip of a card into the market, then all those cubes are going to get put into a bag and then a certain number are going to get pulled out according to how angry the dragon is, how much they've been awakened by the activities of the adventurers. Now there's a return line on the board. When the first player gets in, grabs an artifact, gets back out again, they start a countdown of four more turns and there's a line halfway across the board and you have to get above that, otherwise you're eliminated from the game. If you do get above it, then thematically the villagers are going to come and grab you as long as you've got an artifact and you will still score at the end of the game. But if you manage to make it out of the dungeon completely, you get 20 extra points. It's quick. There are very few ways to thin your deck, which is okay because you will be playing it quite quickly. A lot of the decisions are based more on how you decide to move around the map as opposed to how you build your deck. But Sean, have you got any thoughts on Clank? Well, Ronan, I think we had a little bit of a chat about this uh, down at Eastbourne when we have dinner together. It's what it's the game I most wanted to play at Eastbourne because normally I would have just taken the plunger of the game like this and just bought it, and then I would probably would have looked into it. But there's one element, and it's the push your luck element. I'm not a big fan of push your luck games, and yeah, if that's the main part of this game, then that's the one thing that's stopping me playing. Always seem to arrive at Eastbourne just that. 10 minutes too late and people have started a game. Yeah, def- desperate to give it a go. The push your luck is really entirely down to you. You have two cards in your starting deck called Stumble Cards, which create one clank each. I said there's few ways to thin your deck, but there are ways, especially with the expansion, to discard a card to cause something else. So you can avoid them. If you build a bigger deck, they're not going to come up that often. And really, the push your luck aspect is only really got any attention to it if more than one person is pushing their luck, you can choose to play a very safe strategy. Don't take any cards with Clank on. None of your cubes will go into the bag. When they come out to fill up your health tracker, so few of yours are going to be in there. You're really in no danger whatsoever. It only really becomes tense if either, I guess, no one's pushing their luck, but then you're not going to have enough cubes in there to die. Or if a couple of people are pushing their luck and you're going, well, who's it going to come out this time? So I guess I'll call it a strategy you can go after for higher risk Take the cards that cause Clank and go for it. But if you want to be Sean and you want to eeky eeky, nobody leave me alone, I'm just going to do my own little thing, that's entirely possible as well. <laughs> are, you, are you casting aspersions again? No, aspersions or truths? You leave me alone. <laughs> leave me alone in my podcast to do my own thing. He's going to record solo now. Yeah, um, when you look at it, when I first looked at it, I was like, maybe I can try and dive in quick, grab something and get out again. That's kind of ruined, to me anyway, by the fact that once you get out, there's those four extra turns. And all the other players have to do is just get above the return line. And there's only ever really three or four moves away from getting back above that return line. So over four turns, they'd have to be really, really unlucky or have built a really sort of static deck to not be able to get in and out. And if they've built a really static deck, they're not like these have gone very deep anyway. So I, I'm not sure in three games of it that I've seen anyone stuck below that return line, which also reduces some of the tension for me. Two very quick fire questions, Ronan. Is yes. it worth that? It's quite pricey. It's coming in around the sort of 50, 60 pound mark in, in the UK market. Is it worth that? Really? Price? For the base game? Yeah, for the base game. Quite pricey. pricey. And uh, you, I know you played with the expansion. How did you find that? And is it worth bringing that in? Not only is it worth it, Sean, I think 
I would not particularly want to play again without the expansion. Now, that's for me. I possibly have slightly heavier tastes. But with the base game, I was like, yeah, it's okay. It's quite nice. I can see it working as a gateway or a casual game sort of thing. Once you put the expansion in, it's not it add that much. It's got underwater rooms which you have to be careful to either have a scuba or get in and out of in the turn otherwise you can start taking damage some of the cards have slightly more interesting synergies there's crowns you can buy for points and there's a card that interacts with the crown so you get this if you have that or you have that if you have this which was missing in the base game when you go back to the price the problem there is i think that both together makes a good game now, if you're telling me it's 50, 60 quid for the base game, so what we're talking, between 70 and 90 quid for both, that's a lot of money for quite a simple deck builder. I went for the expansion after LobsterCon because I already had the base game and the expansion added enough for me to, for it to be a buy. If I didn't have either, I would definitely be more hesitant. Now, the fantasy theme is not going to grab me the kind of simple deck building is not going to grab me so i'm not the ideal audience and i've enjoyed it enough to get the expansion so that says there's a lot of quality here but in terms of value i guess shop around fair enough okay so uh, we're going to go on to my first game which is in the name of odin by nskm games designed by christoph zeber plays two to five players as the name suggests, it's all about Vikings, and it's just really about going on raids with Vikings. There, there's certain things you have to do to go on those raids, but mainly it's about going on raids. The game is driven by action cards with two images. You have a top and a bottom image. You're going to use one of the images on there to allow you to purchase or gather warriors to go and do your raidings with, buildings that are going to assist you in some way to do, do these tasks, uh, famous Vikings that are going to lead your Vikings into battle, and ships, of course, to carry them to their targets. This is going to help you to go on those raids that I mentioned, and it's going to form the mainstay of your point scoring. And it's pretty much as simple as that. You're gathering cards into your hand. You've got a little bit of agency, so then you can swap one card each round. Some of the buildings help you to do that a little bit more efficiently. That's pretty much it, Ronan. We played this one together. And first thing I'm going to throw at you, I was really surprised at how good it looks on the table. It really does. It really it has does. kind of an attractive yet dark look to it. The sleek, sort of classy graphics on the on the but, cards but on the But gritty, board. sleek but gritty. Yeah, but still managed to get that sort of Viking theme in there as well. So yeah, I was I was very impressed with this one. I came down, you'd say, I'm going to grab a game, meet me in... The, what was it, the panel room, and you had this one on the table. I thought, oh, what's that? Oh, I literally said that. <laughs> yeah, it does look really impressive. It's got great graphics, which to me is a slight kind of discordance there because it looks like it's going to be a real heavy strategy Viking thinky game. But in my opinion, it's actually kind of a family weight game in terms of gameplay. Yeah, it is. It was on the next point. Like, very, very simple and very easy to get into. Uh, you learned it from the rule book then and there, and it didn't take you that long at all before we were off and flying and raiding. You do love raiding. Reading. Reading. 
and and it's kind of like a shopping list game as well so you're trying to build up your tableau with buildings each similar buildings each shipyard has got one power in common or each yard has got one power in common and then they all have a unique power as well so you're trying to build up a little bit of a tableau which is kind of a bit of a distraction really because as you've been saying it's all about getting one of those three different types of vikings you've got sailors and warriors and traders and using those to match the requirements on each card for a raid and it's as people call it a shopping list game like lords of Waterdeep, like yido i need to get this to do that here we go again sean complaining about not getting something in the game i wasn't getting the building cards and i thought that was absolutely fundamental because i thought you guys were just running away with it and it turns out that i was able to collect more warriors and go on more attacks on various parts of europe and win the game so that that was pretty much what you were trying to do. I think too much messing around with buildings and trying to get famous warriors into your hand almost hindered you. Yeah, I, I think as gamers we looked at it and thought, all oh, tableau builder or buildings give us special powers. Definitely you build up this part of your economy first, but and then you can be more powerful and make sort of a charge towards the end to go and score most points. But that's not how it worked at all. Again, harking back to that sort of family weight, it's much more immediate than that. If you have the cards in your hand and the buildings suit you there and then, sure, grab one. It's going to be worth a couple of points. It might help you a little bit. But most importantly, get the Vikings in, send them on raids. That's what it's all about. Keep that conveyor belt going. One of the problems I think with the game is that it's called In the Name of Odin, right? On the Board Game Geek database, there are eight games with the name of Odin in them. And four of them came out in 2016. This one's kind of got a little bit swamped. Is there anything unique? Is there anything that's going to make people remember it? I think if, if they were going to play well with with their family or just wanted the light game, this this is the one to go for. I think yeah, you're right. It's certainly got got swamped up with um, the Rosenberg release and and things like that. So I, I kind of, kind of missed me by at first, and then I, we caught it on the second wave, and we played it at Eastbourne. I, I, I'll say it now, I thoroughly enjoyed the game of it. It was one of those where you just are relaxed, you're not too worried. It's probably a me game, there's not that much interaction going on. I was left alone to do my stuff, a um, little bit of interaction. They kind of crowbarred in, in where you go on a raid that other people can play a card and you have to match that, otherwise you lose points from your raid. So I think that was maybe crowbarred because there was just no interaction at all, maybe. Well, because you also, you randomly draw those action cards, don't you? You can decide a bit of a way and manipulate them. But it was a way to kind of cycle out rubbish ones out of your hand as well. Someone else raids before your turn, you can throw a card in and you're going to draw another one. And it's kind of hopefully a way that you can... I mean, there's other ways of cycling cards, but that helps out that way. For me, if you've got older kids, I'm thinking nine plus, something like that. They like the Viking theme. They're kind of into games. Or you've got very casual gamers that you think, oh, they might like the Viking theme. They watch the TV show or whatever. This would be very much a gateway level game in which you get it out. It's not hard to teach. There's not too much going on and you're done in an hour. Even with four or five players, you're done in not much more than an hour. So do I want to play it loads of times? Not really. Can I see situations in which I'd get it out? Yes. And because it's so attractive and so good to look at, I can see it definitely being an easy sell. Pretty much exactly what you said there, but I think it's one of those where I am absolutely happy to get it out, and it's one that I will not shy away from getting out or try and push people, no, don't play that, because it is light, but there are some choices in there, and it has enough, just enough to sort of keep my interest while bringing sort of younger or lighter games into the fold, so yeah, I think it was a good game. That's in the name of Odin. 
Okay, we're going to move on to another kind of nautically themed bit of ships in there. Good looking game. It's Yamatai, two to four player, 40 to 80 minute game from Days of Wonder, uh, designed by Bruno Catala and Mark Pakien. So how's it themed? Interesting question. You are going out into an archipelago of islands as a group, placing ships in order to allow buildings to be built for a queen. There's no thing. Okay, good. What you're actually doing is the beginning of a turn, you're choosing a role. That's going to give you a special power. It's going to give you ships of five different colours, basically. Uh, I think red, green, brown, whatever. They're all to do with resources, but they're not really. And they also have a number on them from one to ten, and that's going to determine turn order for the next round, move so on and so forth. So if you choose the number two, you might get a less powerful power, but you like it to go further ahead in turn order than next time. And there's only five of those available each round. You can then buy or sell one ship, so you've got a little bit of control over what colours you've got, and then you're going to place ships out onto the board, either from a starting space or matching a colour of a ship already on the board. So if I start with a green in my line of ships I'm about to put out, it has to match to a green next to it that's already previously been placed. And by placing out those ships, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to form a pattern of colours around an island, which is going to allow you to build a building from a tableau. And there's two different types of building. There's your own buildings, which are going to score you some a few points at the end of the game and also possibly get you some money if you build them adjacent to each other. And there, there are special buildings, which are going to score you way more points at the end of the game. And they make other buildings built next to them more powerful. Or the second way of putting out those ships is the patterns don't matter. doesn't matter what the colours are apart from you're setting up the board for other people. And every island that you're next to that still has a culture token on, you take that culture token. Uh, most islands start with culture tokens on at the beginning of the game, so you can't build on them. You take the culture token off and they're available to be built on. And the only thing that the culture token is... of useful for is handing in in order to hire a specialist. Specialists break all the rules of the game and also they score you some points at the end of the game between zero and four and then at the end of that advisor specialist thing you can keep only one ship each turn although having said that you can break all the rules there's an advisor that lets you keep two more there's an advisor that lets you buy or sell more ships there's an advisor that lets you come in from the side and not just from start spaces there's advisors that do all sorts of stuff at the end of the game you're going to score for the buildings that you've built you put them all in a face down stack and you turn them over here by building points your specialists as i said your advisors and money you've got left over will score you a few points as well it is a gorgeous production from days of wonder it is an absolute pleasure to play with physically although thematically it's total nonsense it's a completely abstract but, you know, they've put a nice veneer on it. Sean, any thoughts on Yamatai? So, as as we tend to do in uh, Lobster Conroe, and we, we kind of go off our own separate way so that we can get more games in and talk about more games, etc. Just dragged off and send the separate directions anyway. So, I don't think I've played any of your games in this episode. And this is another one. So, I've, I've gone onto the internet to, and Board Game Geek, etc. just to have a look at what people are saying about Yamatai. And the one thing that keeps coming up again and again and again are that there's so many choices that it is very AP-inducing. Really? Yeah. Like, I've, other podcasts are saying it. It's the one thing that keeps coming up. There's, there's a lot of AP coming out of this game. I think that AP is caused by two different things in the game. One is the fact you've got lots of choices. 
But the second part of that, the other half has to be there's tension in those choices. It's important what I do. If I make the wrong decision, I'm opening up something for someone else or I'm not setting myself up for something later. But that's absent in this game. With two players, perhaps, once you get more than that, there are so many ships going on the board. The board is so loose. There's so many areas of aid to be built on. Because every time you're putting down a ship, it's going to be adjacent to two, three, four different islands. So you're, you're opening up that island. You're making it available for people. So uh, there are so many opportunities to, to go in and do what you need to do. I never felt like it was difficult. I, I might look at that tableau of buildings and go okay so that needs two green ships and a black ship around an island to build and then i might sit there and go okay so there's two different ways i can do that and i'm just waiting for my turn to come then i don't think i spent more than 20 seconds choosing a role once you've chosen the role that's it you're on and you're going i don't understand getting ap in this game because it's very loose Ooh, interesting. No, I, literally, every, nearly every review I said mentioned AP in one way or another. When it's your turn, it's a one-minute puzzle. Because it, with three or four players, the board's going to have changed so much, and there's going to be so much stuff around the islands that what's the point? Almost anything could happen. So you just kind of go, it's a little... You go, okay, yeah, yeah, cool, right. It might go, let me have a look. Mm, okay, I think that's the best thing to do. Where can I do it? Because once you get out for the first... 10 minutes and there's a few ships on the board you're going to be able to do it somewhere or someone has the advisor where you can come in from any edge not just the left hand side the beginning edge and then they start opening up every area of the board and there's even more things you can do so yeah well me me just blowing my own trumpet against the wind here apparently <laughs> and my other my other sort of quick question is um it's, it's a game where you're trying to spot patterns of uh, shapes and colors and so how do the components help that? Because there are different shapes, there are different colours, and it becomes quite quite colourful quite quickly by the looks of it. Uh, how easy is it to spot those patterns with the components you have? Oh, the ships are very clear. They're bright. They all make sense. The only thing I think, there are culture tokens. You can spend two of the same colour to get an advisor or three of any colour, any mix. And there's a couple of the colours are really, really similar. They've got slightly different shapes on them of flowers, but they're... So very, very similar colorings. That's probably the only thing I'd say about the production. Other than that, like the, the roles, they show quite clearly what they do. You look at them. Obviously, there's 10 of them. You have to have a quick look in your first game, but then you're just rolling on it. You're like rolling on the rolls. Huh? <laughs> you can just go, yeah, that does that, that does that, does that. The advisors even. Once someone tells you once what they do, you go, oh, yeah, I know what that one does. It's The iconography is all good. To me, it, even though it could be a mess, with different production values, Days of Wonder, you almost get blasé about it. They're so good at production and that it stands up to their usual standard. Very, very good, Ronnie. It just certainly looks a pretty game, and I really like a game of it. And you mentioned it was it was very Five Tribesy as well. Yeah, it was those very Five Tribesy. The fact that you're creating chains and you can set people up for other things a little bit. There's probably more... Five Tribes is definitely more AP-inducing for me. Definitely 100%, because you've got choices. Okay, yeah, you said it's pretty... Yes, it's prettily inoffensive, Yamatai. I would maybe play again two players, because then you've got the, the back and forth, and the board's not changing too much, and what you do sets up the next person. What gets me, Sean, and I know this is personal, Okay, because they have got games that have come out that people have liked, but this is now eight years 
Days of Wonder have not released a game that's really been a hit for me. The Yamatai, Quadropolis, Five Tribes, Relic Runners, Cargo Noir, Mystery Express, that's their releases in the last eight years, and none of them have hit home. But I still get excited for Days of Wonder. They look great. I can't fault the company. They're just not hitting my particular nail on its head. But there you go. Yamatai, give it a go if you fancy a lighter sort of a puzzly game. Fair enough. Okay, so I'm going to go on to what was probably the bling hit at Eastbourne this year. Well, this is Too Many Bones from Chip Theory Games. Adam and Josh Carlson are the designers and plays one to four players. It is a fantasy role-playing game-esque type affair where you're using dice to upgrade as well as determine your battles. Players are these, what they call gear locks, characters and they're kind of like the steampunky elves or halflings i don't know what they are they're weird looking anyway and you are basically trying to defeat a tyrant by navigating a series of encounters you're going to read out a card and then you're going to be given two choices on that card one being slightly more difficult but bearing more rewards. Very simple structure to the game. Where, where, the, where the depth comes in is upgrading. So it, you're going to get chances to upgrade and bring dice onto your personal characters at a tableau. And those powers all chain together. You have to, Some of them you have to unlock to give you new ones. And some of them make other powers more powerful. So yeah, that, that's the crux of the game for me. So, Sean, you said they emphasised a lot of it to do with the combat. Basically, you're dealing with monsters as you go along the way. Part of this, the selling point for this was those cards with story choices and story elements. How strong is the story in Too Many Bones? Uh, not not particularly strong. As I said, the, the only bit that sort of hammered home with me was, was those player mats. I mean, if you've got the bling factor, it's kind of like a neoprene sort of mouse mat is your player board. And the dice sort of slot in nicely into that, and it's all very nice, and it's all very interesting. I, I'm just, I'm just going to interrupt you for a second because if the neoprene mouse mats is the strongest story element, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's my point. Yeah, the, the story you can read, you read out the story and it says, right, okay, so you've you've snuck out of the camp, and are you going to be spotted by the guards, or are you going to try approach the guards, and and basically boils down to, do you want to try and get an upgrade or do you want to go through and maybe just not get that upgrade that's that's what that's where the story begins why would you choose not to have the upgrade because it's slightly harder you might lose you might you might have to fight a monster or cut more monsters and make the game harder for yourself that kind of thing and are you making a tactical decision before you know what you're fighting because i had a quick look and there's a preview and it was like you can't fight the second rank before you've cleared the first rank or you get to do two of something else but the person didn't seem to know what it was they were fighting before they made this tactical decision. Some of the things you can do are in the game in before you start is turn over the monsters, and so you can see what's coming up. Okay, and you got right. and a lot of times you got a choice of either keep that on top or put it to the bottom. Uh, I suppose when you get to know the game better. As the person, Sam, who was teaching the game, he kind of knew what was still in the deck. So he's like, oh, I'll tell you what, there's worse in is, there. Is it a deck of chips? <laughs> Sorry, a stack. Is it, is it a bag of chips? <laughs> it's a stack of chips for each monster. Right. And he, 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 he could tell us, well, actually, there are a lot worse in there. You might want to keep that on top. That's just my... <laughs> so when you get to go now the game, I suppose that becomes more interesting as you go forward. So there, there are ways to combat that and to set yourself up a little bit better. 
tapped on two areas there, which I'm going to bring you back to. So first thing is that chip health system. It was in their previous game, Hoplomachus, which was well received by those who played it. I think it was a little bit expensive to get into, especially if you wanted all the bits and bobs. But it, it was a critical hit, shall we say. And they've brought it obviously on into something with what people call more thematic. I'm not sure it was. I think that just means putting a fantasy thing on it. Bitter. So how well did the chip system work? I actually really liked it. You've obviously got that sort of aesthetic feel where you've got these really decent poker chips because Sam had sprung for the extra special ones that were proper poker-style chips. And But you've got that visual representation of your health. Not necessary, but good. <laughs> okay. And you mentioned Sam all the way through. Hey, Sam, he does listen. He, obviously, he's walking through loads and loads of people over the whole weekend for this game. Now, he did walk you through... If you didn't have someone knew the game that well with you, what was the barrier to entry for Too Many Bones? I don't think it, there was a too much. Just a bit of that knowledge of how each round goes. There's a very set way the round would go. You have to do this before this and that before that. But you've got to get a player rate for that. I think it's a fairly simple game to get into. I would be quite confident if I could go back and, and have a fairly decent stab at that. And the interest for me comes in is bringing those stuff. You've got so much choice on your tableau for upgrading your powers and making yourself stronger to face those monsters. That, that's what makes it something that I'd be interested in. Chip Theory Games have got a small yet growing band of really loyal fans. Like If you like Chip Theory Games, or people in there, they will rate them 8s, 9s, 10s. They love Hypnomachus, they love Too Many Bones, and I would love to give this a go, Sean. I think, unless in your summary you're going to persuade me otherwise looked at the price and it is an absolute bomb to get this game because of the production no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i've looked at the price (laughs) and that's why i'm not gonna (laughs) (laughs) it is not worth the 200 plus if you want to get the extra characters Yeah, you look, and that's pounds. Like if you're converting it, and you're still paying over two hundred pounds, I reckon, to get this shipped over in the next pre-order campaign. So, yeah, it weren't that good. It was fun. I would like to explore though the different characters. They all play a little differently, but at that price point, no, it's too much for me. But if you can find this, and it does pop up in a trade, or your your friendly local game store brings in some copies, then I think it's one to have a little snifter at. I want to check because I did my research on Board Game Geek. Did you do yours on Board Game Prices for this episode? <laughs> it's all about the prices. All about the prices. <laughs> the Game Pit, the budget edition. The times are hard, <laughs> my friend. Times are hard. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they're grand. They're grand. Okay, I'm going to move on to another co-op. This is Pandemic Iberia. One to five players, 45 minutes long hear the sarcastic quote marks around that it's from Jesus Torres Castro and obviously Matt Leacock the daddy of pandemic from Z-Man Games so it is pandemic there's no point in me going over all of that there are four diseases you're trying to sort them out I'm just going to tell you the differences between pandemic and pandemic Iberia and we'll crack on from there so firstly there's no flying around when you move around the place there's also no traveling between research stations because research stations don't exist what you must do is build a hospital 
in each of the four colours, and that's the only place you can research the diseases. So you have to spend a card off a particular city of a particular colour. So I have to spend, let's say, Barcelona to build the yellow hospital, and that's where the player with the five cards will have to go to to research the yellow disease. Research, not cure. Because once you have done that research, when you go around to cure diseases, you don't remove all the cubes in one go if it's been cured. And there's no Jesus power with the medic walking around. There's not even a medic. There is a rural doctor, but no medic. So cubes are harder to get off the board. Going back to traveling, you can travel by port. So some of the cities around the coast, I've got an anchor on them to show that they're ports. Standard gaming iconography there. And if you discard a color card, you can sail from one port to any port of the color you've discarded. The other way to get around is you can build railways. Now, this is going to sing to the two fellas on this podcast. And once you lay a railway track, every city that is on the railway network, as long as they connect, is adjacent to each other. So you can move from one end of the board to the other for one action, as long as they're all on railway tracks, which it's a big part of the game, that building up the infrastructure. Now, I said that it was harder to cure cubes off the board, but what you can do is purify water. And there's a slightly different mechanism here in that there are regions on the board. They're not very large. They're three to six cities in each region. And they're just areas bordered by mostly by the roads, actually. And when you purify water, you put purify water tokens in the middle of a region. And the next time, for any reason, a cube would go into that region. It's not optional. You don't put a cube in. You take a purify water token out. So it's kind of like multi-use quarantine markers from other versions of pandemic you have got all new roles you've got the nurse she can put like a blocking marker in an adjacent region on her turn so no cubes can go in you've got the railway man who can build two consecutive railways for one turn you've got the sailor who can sail around the edge easily and can bring people with them and various other roles and they all feel quite thematic there are all new and to me quite powerful events which are really interesting i've think there's 16 of them there could be fewer it might be 12 anyway you shuffle up depending upon how many players you've got and they go in the deck and they feel really cool and they are unique as well and they fit in with these new mechanisms i've just been discussing and i think the last difference is on your turn to share knowledge you can give or take cards so that whole thing where oh we lined it all up we've got a city oh hold on yeah, I can only give on your turn, not take. I don't know whether that got changed. That's the way I've always played it. But in this one, you can give or take cards if you're both in the same city as usual. So, Pandemic Iberia. The first question's got to be, whether you're considering this game, do you like Pandemic, Sean? No. <laughs> oh, Chestnut. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my really only question uh, to have any interest in this game at all. I like Pandemic Legacy. I really don't like Pandemic itself. Cuckoo, cuckoo. Fair enough. Um, is is this one for me at all? I can't, I can't understand you not liking Pandemic. What do you want me to say to you? You're an imbecile. Move on. Oh, nice, is it? <laughs> what? Look, it? It gives a different challenge. The Pandemic Legacy gave you a, a different challenge as you go along. And oh, I've got to think about this. I've got to think about it, different priorities. That's what Pandemic Iberia does. It gives you a different challenge. It gives you different priorities. It gives you different ways of dealing with things. So you're not doing the same old things you'd always do, like we have to have a medic and we have to have a scientist and all that stuff when you play Pandemic. That variety for me comes with very minimum rules overhead. 
So there's not the sort of tarting around you get where you've got to move cubes around, petri dishes in a lab or anything like that. So that completely works for me. And as well as that base variety, there's also more variety in there. So they've got specific mutations for each of the four diseases. So you can have the black cubes be malaria or you can have cholera in the game. So, so there's another way of switching it up. And then the last one, which I think is really cool, is when you build a hospital, your cubes will start because their patients will start moving towards the hospital. And if the hospital gets too many cubes on it, it becomes overwhelmed. So then you have to be aware of cubes moving on the board, which, again, completely different way of thinking, but with a small rules overhead. So I don't know. Are they different enough to, to challenge you? you? know, I basically went through the changes between the two games. You like Pandemic Legacy because it was pandemic, but a bit different. Well, Pandemic Iberia is pandemic, but a bit different. I like Legacy because it made things a little bit real. It made the actual person on the board feel a little bit more real. I was developing as, as I was going along, not because it's had the, the pandemic gameplay. That's a, that's just a terrible, terrible thing to say. <laughs> Sorry. I, <laughs> you like the game because... You can put stickers on a sheet. If I bought you a Panini sticker album and you can play the sticker album while you play Pandemic Iberia, would that make you? I liked the progression and the, the, the way the, the game kept changing and it gave me more to think about rather than the basic Pandemic, oh, let's get this cube up, let's get that cube up. I'm all of a sudden thinking about the bigger picture. I'm thinking about how do I develop as a player and a character. Okay, I think we're just going back to you not liking Pandemic anymore. So I'm going to speak to the other 95% of sane people and say, I am a fan of Pandemic. I'm really happy with Pandemic Iberia. I've played it a few times now. I've played it since Lobstercon in the couple of weeks it's been. And I'm, yeah, it's a quality product. It looks great. I think it is for the fans because going back to old board game prices over there, it's not cheap, but I'm very, very happy I got it. And I'll be playing this ahead of base Pandemic definitely for another dozen or two plays okay so i'm going to go to a game that we actually did on one of our treasure hunt episodes before essen is it legendary inventors no it isn't we are never did to you play it we are never to talk about that again <laughs> you know this i can hear six months ago me going trap Sean, trap i oh, sorry you, you've just gone silent like there's nothing coming out of your mouth yeah yeah you would close your ears on wisdom. You don't even like pandemic. Go on, kick on. Anyway, this is the Dragon and Flagon from Stronghold Games, designed by Brian Jeff and Sidney Engelstein. And it plays two to eight players. So the setting of this game is you're in a bar room in a kind of fantasy ye old realm and you're gonna have a huge fight. So pretty much like any night out we've ever had. If you're gonna explain this one, just just think Colt Express with those pre-selected actions in the form of cards, and then you're trying to second guess what your opponents will do to uh, give them a good thorough beating, and you're going to be using what's around you in the bar. It could be stuff like mugs, tables, chairs, rugs, chandeliers, even. You're going to use all of those to basically give everybody a good, thorough thrashing. When you take a, a lick, you limit your choices because you've got to play an extra card. So so therefore, you're kind of locked in for a longer amount of time and then more chance for things to go wrong. That's pretty much all that's going on. You're not the biggest fan of Colt Express, Ronan. I know you kind of found it, it was okay. I love Colt Express. So I went into this one thinking, I'm just going to love, love, love this. And it, it wasn't quite that way. 
How do you feel about the Dragon and Flagon? What have you heard about it? In all these games like this, for me to have fun, there's two sort of questions I need to ask. The first one is, what's the level of chaos versus the level of, I'm not going to say strategy, tactics, maybe, but how much can I impact what's going on? This one, there is a lot more choice. I think that kind of takes away from like the streamlined feel of, of your Cult Express in there. You've got so much choice. There's so much more chances for things to go wrong. You've got a whole deck of cards and you've each got two unique powers and you can bring another unique power into your hand if you grab the, the famed dragon flagon from the center of the board. So yeah, I think there's actually more chance for you to sit around doing nothing than there ever was in Cult Express, so they're probably not selling it to you, am I? So you got so you got more choice, more things you can do, but there's more chance you can do nothing. Go on, explain that for me. Every two cards that you're laying down, or possibly three cards, that you kind of trying to intertwine different things. So you're not just climbing up, you're not just climbing down, you're not just grabbing some loot, and you're not just moving or punching or shooting. You you can you can stand at a table and boast. If somebody at the same time had decided to to knock that table for some reason, you're going to fall over. So then your boast is ruined because then your next action would be to use that boast to double your points. There's things you can run across the board. You can swing off chandeliers. One of those goes wrong and you're trying to chain it with, with more actions, then it all goes wrong. So there's more moving parts yeah, yeah. for you to be able to predict where what the game state will be. Exactly, okay, cool. yeah, yeah. So in which case, fine. Because this was like a, I've got a branching questionnaire here. You've got like the yes, no, yes, no. Turns out you're a cat, whatever it could be. But here we go. In that case, were you drunk? I wasn't. No, I wasn't. Then you're playing it wrong and you're not to be trusted. <laughs> I took the biggest beat because we played it four players. Everyone takes two characters. But for that, I think I would have got really frustrated because one of my characters, literally everything I did someone had the absolute negative and just walloped me. I just I spent the whole game lying down and getting up. Poor like, <laughs> able to swing across on the chandelier. And like, what about on the board? Poor <laughs> <laughs> able to swing across on the chandelier and knock him down. Okay, so that's that, that's that turn. Okay, fair enough. I just think about this. Then full on would pull the rug from under my feet. Uh, then Natalie would throw a mug at me, like, oh, can you all leave me alone? I try and sidestep things. And, and Hold on, hold on. Was that you saying in the game you just want to be left alone? In this instance, you do want to be left alone. Just checking, just checking. The more interaction you get, the worse it is for you. You want to get into the middle, you want to do your boasting, you want to grab the flag and slap some people on the way. Right. Was everyone playing to have fun? I... So. I think the general response afterwards that people had fun. I think maybe Poria got a little bit bored halfway through. I think uh, full on myself and Natalie were having fun. It, it was kind of last day of the concert. I'm feeling that you're torn. There's a lot of, ah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, it's not as good as Cult Express for me. It's oh my God. It's, I love Cult Express and this one isn't as good as Cult Express for me. That is funny. You do get a lot of people laughing at you, but I think if, if three turns go by and you've done nothing, I think maybe then it would start to get a little bit... Okay, all right, enough now. Okay, I, I'm feeling like I'll play it if it's there and I'm in the mood. Would that be about the right... That is, Yeah, that is exactly the right thing. It's, it's beautiful. I had lots of people stopping by because it's a 3D board. Uh, you've got actual tables, you've got actual rugs that you move, you've got actual flagons and... 
But I think you've got that frustration factor in there. And I think it is one of those ones. Yeah, if it's knocking around, you've got a few like-minded people go for it. If not, then maybe stay away. That's the dragon and flagon. On the Friday evening at LobsterCon, we had some social games going on. So we played a really funny game of Time's Up Total Recall in which there was groups of people giving the uh, miming clues and the statue clues. We did the fourth round. It was really funny. That went fantastically. And after that, I played a new game to me in the early hours, and it was two rooms and a boom. Six to 30 players, 15 minutes long per round from Alan Girding, Sean McCoy, and Tuesday Night Games. Now. Basically, you get two groups of people and you have a moderator. And there are two teams. There's the red team and the blue team. On the red team, there's a bomb. On the blue team, there's a president. You put these two groups, you randomly mix them up and put them in two different rooms. And then they stand around chatting and they can show each other parts of their card to show them what color the card is or all of the card to show them exactly who they are. And from that chatting, you're supposed to try and work out who's in the room with you. Where's the president? Where's the bomb? And then after... Uh, I think it's rounds of one or two minutes. You're going to swap equal numbers of people. It starts with two, goes to two more, then one, then one. It depends on how many players you've got. And you're basically swapping a few people in between the two groups. And at the end of the time, after you've done this five times, the red team wants the bomb and the president to be in the same room. And the blue team wants that not to happen. And whoever's got it their way wins. There are some grey characters which want certain things, like they want to be with the president, or they want the president to survive, or they've got their own sort of win conditions, as you do with sort of neutral characters in social games. And we played it, and we had two moderators, one of whom knew the rules, and... There was a couple of rounds of confusion of like, okay, do we do this, do we do that, before we started swapping and work out what was going on. And then it got to the point where, in most games of it, we kind of knew who everyone was. I don't know whether we were playing poorly, or after a few games, you sort of work out how it goes. You have to, because there's more random roles you can throw in, and you have to throw in that chaos to mix it up. But we got to a stage quite quickly where it was. So we know you're the president, we know you're the bomb. Now, if you had the president and the bomb in the same room, then it's because you vote who leaves. Whichever team had the majority of people in that room has won the game. Because if the Reds have the majority, they're not going to send the president away or the bomb. If the Blues have the majority, they're going to send the bomb away and keep the president so that they've definitely won. So if you get them both in the same room, then it's a definite win for whoever controls the room. And then the other one is, if you work out that they're not in the same room, then it becomes a 50-50 game. And it's got a completely flip of a coin because do you send the president? Do you not send the president? Because are they going to send the bomb or are they not going to send the bomb? So are you sending the president into danger or are you keeping the president for the bomb to come into danger? And that's what the game boiled down to every time. And I was a bit, mm. it's nice to stand around and have a chat, but I'm not sure there was much game there, Sean. See, that was the opposite of what I thought would happen. I thought everyone would be really cagey. Now, maybe I'm getting the interpretation of the rules wrong. Do you, like, you can swap, show each other your cards and stuff like that, but you don't have to do that, do you? Yeah, there's an enforcer for each team right. who, if they show you their card and go, I'm the enforcer, you have to show me your card, then you have to show them your card. 
So some people can force it. And then if you don't show people your card, then you're not really taking part in the game. <laughs> like you can sit there going, I'm not telling you. Then you're almost excluded. Well, I would, I would have thought that the president and the bomb almost have to sort of pick and choose who they do show because they've got to be very cagey. Because the bomb doesn't want to know, let everyone know that he's the bomb or she's the bomb, and the president doesn't want everyone to know that she's the president, or otherwise the bomb will, will know where to go. So then, if you're on the blue team, you want to show everyone because you're trying to get again. It's, it's the same in a lot of social deduction games. You're like the goodies. You want the information out there so you can plot the information. So if you're on the blue team, there's no harm showing your card to people because you want information. And the minute you find another blue person, you can tell them everything you know. Oh, right, okay, that's that, that's that, and that's that. They're both red. We're both blue. Great. We've, we've got some information to go on. Right, so it's fairly obvious if someone's hiding that they may be a red. Well. well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a mute, for example. So everyone's talking. It's all open information, right? So everyone in the room could chat to each other. So when I was a red and I wasn't the bomb, I was trying not to tell anyone so that they'd think I was the bomb, so it would confuse things, but it didn't really. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm just like a bit befuddled. And then the spies, so you can either show your colour of your card or the whole card, and the spies that you show the colour, they just show as the colour of the other team. Right. So, but I didn't, really get how that helps. Are they the additional characters, the spies and the enforcers, or are they in the base I game? think the enforcer, oh, mate, I don't know, I think the enforcer's always in it. I think the spies are always in it. The additional characters seem to be like the greys who had their own sort of win conditions. And then we, we started playing with a green one who was the leprechaun. Who <laughs> Surely that was leprechaun, you. <laughs> 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 uh, if the leprechaun shows you just the green bit of their card, you have to swap cards with them. But all that happened then is... Like, the person who was the leprechaun was going, oh, I was the leprechaun, but now I'm this. So, 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 they're now the leprechaun. So you all knew who the leprechaun was. So it's just a bit... <laughs> I'm not selling it, am I? I was a bit... Like, it was cool to stand around and chat, and then we had, like, three or four games of kind of working it out, of going, oh, how's this? How's that? And then we kind of... It clicked, and we were like, oh. But this is always going to happen. We either know we've won, know we've lost, or it's 50-50. I, I, I didn't see much emergent hmm. clever gameplay going on see I, I i'm almost intrigued just to, to give it a go now more than i was just to see like really yeah yeah but you know what i think it'd absolutely be perfect for I'm right at the beginning of a, a convention or something that where nobody knows each other i know london board lots of people know each other but if you've got like a people from, people from all over the place coming in and- I, I, i'll pull you up there hold on everyone doesn't know each other at london board <laughs> 9,000 people don't know each other. There are more than like an Essen or a UK Games Expo or something like that. Uh, and in the evenings at the UK Games Expo, I think it'd be a good thing to do just say, listen, are you in the game? Right, come on, we're playing two rooms and a boom. Right, and then you get to talk to people. And you get to say, and then you see them the next day and the next day, and then you build up relationships. And maybe that's what it's good for. Yeah. It's more, as a social game, it's more social than game. Yeah, well, there you go. You see, a framework for a social gathering. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> Two rooms and a boom. The dinner party of social games. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so I'm going to move on to a very Euro Euro game in Euroland. It's Alm from R&R Games, Stroke Hook and Friends, designed by Gunter Burkhart 
and it's for two to four players. Now, I know I tend to be on the light side of my descriptions of games, but I'm only really going to focus on a couple of the aspects of this because there is a lot going on. There are lots of different things you can do, lots of different things on the board, and lots of things in, in cards you can do. So I'm just going to focus on the main ones. Now, I'll start with the theme. There is no theme. Uh, there's a construction of a, th- a cathedral. You're not really taking part in the construction of the cathedral. You're just in the, the markets and the bazaars around the cathedral trying to make a name for yourself. There you go. That's the theme. The main mechanism in this game is a three-by-three grid of action tokens. Now, what you do on your turn is you're going to draw one of these tokens from a bag, and you're going to push one of the columns or rows of these tokens so that one of them sort of pushes off. And the ones, the three that are still in the grid are going to be your actions for the turn. Now, you can do things like get yourself a card you can move your a boat along the now this boat is one of the main parts of the game the boat is going to open up the action areas on the board for yourself you can't get to areas that your boat isn't in so as your boat moves along you've got your choices changing now what else can you do you can get money, you can place on the board. That's what you're going to be able to do by using this 3x3 three three grid. As I mentioned, was you're placing on the board, and that's probably the next biggest mechanism within the game, is that you can place your, your token on the board, and that's going to give you something, like you can maybe take a card, or you can influence, get a little character that's going to influence your game. And that's pretty much what you're doing. The The cards that you're picking up have set collection scoring at the end of the game, instant scoring, or they can give you little boons. And yeah, there's, there's so much going on in this game, but it's still light, Ronan. It's still very light. I'll tell you what it's light on, all right? And that's sex appeal, all right? If it wasn't the fact that you and many other people have told me this is a good game, this is a good game, this is a good game, I would just have kicked it to the curb immediately. Mate, I'm listening to you explain the rules, and I, and I know you're trying to go like and summarise it, you're not going into it, drifting away. You're just, you're just using Euro words. It's like someone's done like a Euro little crab sheet going, cards, tokens, instant action, end game scoring, action. What? I watched Tom Vassell's video, right? You know I love watching Tom's videos. I swear to God, I fell asleep twice. I wasn't on a night shift at work. I, oh, 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 ah, I rewind it four minutes. This game is so off-putting. What? You're going to have to sell it to me, Sean. You're going to have to put some nice clothes on it, make it tear, maybe some aftershave, maybe some perfume, whatever you think best. Sell me this game because I ain't buying at the moment. You've changed. You've changed. It could have be more euro it's, it's <laughs> even like brown it's got a river yeah like, Sh- shades of beige shades of beige <laughs> it's even they've even brought michael menzel who's done so many euro games i love his art but he's done so many euro games you just almost recognize his art as being a euro game now but even then they've gone like michael menzel but tone it down a bit, mate. Make it a bit more brown. <laughs> it's not even like a beautiful, like Pillars of the Earth board or a Legend of Andor board. It's a brown with a river on board. The main thing, as I said, is that 3x3 three three grid, Ronan. 
And that, just as a mechanism for giving your choices, is, is a good mechanism. It's a little puzzle within itself. What, what's my optimum place to, to go here? What three actions do I want? What am I going to set up for other people? Interesting mechanism right there. And then, as I said, there are lots and lots and lots of things that you can do. Lots of ways to sort of just eke the game around. But that boat mechanism, that just keeps it very simple. So you, you're not going to be dogged by AP because there are loads of choices. It's, you've, you've got literally the choices that you're going to get from your three-by-three three three grid and the choices where your boat is in, it's divided up. So if you're in a section, you're going to have above and below you where you can choose from to place on the board. That is the beauty of this game for me. They, they are the good, interesting choices, but they're condensed, so you never really get bogged down. I feel like eight years ago, this would have made an impact. This would be in the top 100 on BGG. This would be a Castles of Burgundy, a Bruges, a, a Euro game that lives and dies on its own merits as a mechanism in a much smaller market of games. In the current marketplace... This is going to really struggle to make an impact because it's got no selling points. Okay, even as you're saying it to me, all right, you're my family. I love you, but I'm not buying it, man. I can't, I can't get it. You're not. I, 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 I want to sit down. I want to play it. I just think that this has been done too many times in terms of a a package of naming it after a European city, making it look brown. You score some points and collect some cards. Now. They become really, really hard sells. They're the sort of game I really love. I need to sit down and play it with you. I need to be more fair on the game. So this isn't a critique so much on the game itself, but you're selling a game in 2017 with 2007 ideas and packaging, and it's yeah. not going to make an impact. It's no, it's not. The chance no. it deserves. No, it's not. You're absolutely right, and I agree with you 100%. It's just that I'm more inclined at the moment. The way I'm feeling, I'm more inclined. I'm hankering for those old Euros. I'm hankering to go back. I really want to go and play Pillars of the Earth and the Castles of Burgundy. That's um, that's the way my mind is going at the moment. Listen, I agree with you, but why am I going to play this ahead of them? I think because it does. It is. It's a lot lighter than them for a start. It's more accessible uh, than those games. I think it's it's a friendlier game in itself. I, I, I would have walked past this. I, we saw this at Essen, and yeah. just out of courtesy, I was asked to come over and have a look by the by the person that was demoing it. And I did, out of courtesy. They wouldn't be rude. And they started talking about it. And, yeah, I, my eyes glazed over, like yourself, almost fell asleep on top of the game. And <laughs> a couple of things just stood out. Just a couple of interesting mechanisms stood out and how easy it would be to get into, and almost as a sort of gateway game for into Euro, proper Euro games for people. And I, I started getting interested in, in that thing. I wouldn't get too bogged down. I wouldn't get too stressed playing it. I'd have a, have a good time, but still have that sort of warm, familiar feel of that Euro. So that's what kind of made me think, actually, this, this is worth trying. And then when we got the chance to play at, at LobsterCon, we all just had such a lovely time playing it. and. Yeah, it's took off from there. We've actually bought it now. We've brought it into the household. So we enjoyed it so much off our first play that Natalie wanted a copy. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those. I, I can't really sell it to you because you're absolutely right in what you're saying. But for some reason, it has just made me happy. 
bring Ulm round. <laughs> and, uh, I'm definitely happy to give it a go, mate. I don't think, yeah, it'll be, it'll be one of those ones, Ronan, that you will say, you know what, <laughs> I enjoyed the game of it, but I'm not bothered if I ever play it again. I think that's the way you'll react to it. Don't tell me what I'll think. <laughs> I'll think something different now. Let me write that down. Think different. Okay. <laughs> Moving on to another uh, <laughs> kind of themeless game. It's Hellas. Two to four players, 45 to 60 minutes. This is the new Hellas, not the old two-player Hellas. It's from Stefan Dora and White Goblin Games. Okay, it's played over three rounds. You've got 13 possible actions over that round. And whenever you choose an action, then everyone else is going to get to do it. It's follow the leader sort of a thing. So there's going to be 12 of the 13 actions chosen each time, no matter how many players there are from the two to four. There is a board. It's got a bunch of hexes. There are inland and there are coastal hexes you can build on. There are also places for temples to be built and there are places where mines, some of them are going to start as active and then will become active as the game goes on. And they're marble mines. So the 13 actions, what can you do? You can build houses, palaces and palazzos on the hexes in order to build up contiguous areas off your own, which will be your cities. It's cheaper to build on the coast than it is inland. Obviously, there's more access to more hexes around and you're trying to build this contiguous areas and also like i say you're trying to be next to temples to uh score points at the end of the game and to the mines because one of the other actions you can do is activate mines mines produce for adjacent uh houses that have been built next to them and the lower value mines they're sort of the newer mines are going to produce more marble each time and the older ones obviously therefore produce fewer and then once you've activated mines you're going to draw mine tiles and you're going to age mines on the board which is really interesting because you know you want to be next to a new one and then it's going to die down then you're looking where's my next marble source coming from and you're going to possibly kill off old mines and place a new one as well so controlling that action means that you can maybe try and be in certain areas of the board where mines are going to come into play or you decide where the next one's going to go you can build columns in temples which is going to cost you marble and they're going to score points like i said for being adjacent when you build columns you get collect rings which are going to score bonus points at the end of the game and also you can build statues exactly the same thing they just score for adjacent settlements next to them at the end of the game. And they don't have to be big, huge ones. Just being adjacent is going to score you points for those things. So it's an economy game in which the economy is entirely one resource. It's just marble. You start with some. When the mines produce, you get more in. At the end of the game, you score for your biggest city, however big it is, that many spaces. And uh, so houses have to be adjacent to things to give you mine. Palazzos are just to, to add to your city and to join things together. Being adjacent to statues and temples and the rings that you've got. So actions are really really tight in this game you have as many statues as you could possibly build you have as many palaces exactly as you could possibly build you have as many houses as exactly as you could possibly build if build house gets chosen every single turn that's how many houses you've got there is not one action to be wasted in this game if you don't get next to mines then marble becomes very very tight and there is not one piece of marble to be wasted in this game this is a tight spatial a little bit of king to kingdom builder but without the sort of random card draw game in which you're trying to connect things together and control areas and it's very very mean when you place on the board you're doing one of two things if you can both you're helping yourself out or you're screwing over someone else 
And because the areas are so close to each other, quite often you can do both. And there is a definite possibility here that one person either gets unlucky or everyone just picks on them and you have no chance of winning. If you are blocked more than everyone else is, you can't win the game. So you're going to have to be aware of that. Everyone else also has to be aware. So if one player gets never blocked and just gets, you know, if you're not in the mood or there's someone like, sometimes if you play someone who's new to gaming or or they're younger or whatever it may be, sometimes you feel like, oh, you know, off these choices, I'm not going to block that person because it seems a bit mean. If you do that in this particular game, and there's nothing wrong with doing that, you know, encourage people. You don't have to be mean to people to play games well. But in this game, that person will win. So there is so heavy on interaction that, if that puts you off, don't go near this game. It says 45 to 60 minutes. That is accurate. And I'll, I'll be surprised if it went as long as 60 minutes. It's quick enough that if you are blocked out for the whole game, it's not the end of the world. You, you're going to be playing against something fairly quickly. But it can be frustrating. It Also, you need to emphasize at the beginning how tight the game is. That everything matters. Okay, You can put one house over there where you think a mine might appear. If that mine never appears, you've wasted that house. That can be a big difference, just one house. So it's tight, it's thinky, it's mean. It's certainly a very clever system. I think I'd have to be in the mood for a cutthroat game. And I'd also have to be in a place where I don't mind if 10 minutes into the game I realise, I'm far behind the curve and I'm probably going to waste the next 45 minutes. But if it come out again in those circumstances, I play it because it's definitely got that sort of real tactical interest to it and every placement by everyone matters. And that is this Hellas by Stefan Dora, not the Hellas that Sean's been researching that you can tell us a bit about it if you want, Sean. Yeah, yeah, I had loads of questions about the two-player Hellas there for you, mate. I was like, gonna, oh, oh it's, 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 very, it's very long for what it is, and uh, I think the God the God cards make it without them. It would be very boring, but no, they're not in this one. So, so I was intrigued by your comparison of Kingdom Builder, and I don't actually remember what you think of Killed Kingdom Builder. So how does it stack up against that? Because that's a game I, I, I do know and do like. Uh, so Kingdom Builder, I actually really like. I rate it quite highly. I don't mind the old random draw thing and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't have to be sort of perfect information or that business. you you got to roll with the blows. This is like if Kingdom Builder had grown up on the wrong side of the tracks, had got in with the bad crowd. Uh, if you saw Kingdom Builder come in, you'd know they were probably going to hold a knife to your throat. They're, they're Kingdom Builder if it hadn't had such a good upbringing. I don't like Rogue Kingdom Builder. No, rogue mean kingdom builder <laughs> is going to steal your football and put a knife in it. Yeah, it's not a perfect comparison, but it's, it's a bit like it with much more control, though. It's you decide where everything's going in Hellas. There's none of that terrain stuff. You do have to get adjacent to things and you are blocky. So yeah, yeah, I'm still quite happy with that comparison. I'm sure someone's going to shout at me for it. <laughs> OK, seeing as I've done no research on it, we'll move on. Um... Yeah, we probably should. <laughs> So my it's next bloody in. My bloody in. My next game is the bloody in from Pearl Games, designed by Nicholas Robert and one to four players it takes. This game is themed around basically it's a really cool theme. Actually, I really like it. It's basically villagers are running an inn to rob and murder travellers. Awesome. I spent I spent the whole time playing this game. For thinking the master of the house from Les Miserables. Just thinking it's whistling the tune to myself, master of the ass. 
Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I'm, I'm, I'm back there, mate. I'm back there. I'll have a bit of ladies. Good, I'll... good, good. Anyway, in the game, you're going to be gathering cards, and they are depicting the inn patrons. They will have a certain amount of money in their pocket, and they can be used to assist in gathering other cards, or give yourself a little boon, or you're going to turn them to part of your building, because they've got an annex power, but that has to be played on the table. If you manage to kill your patrons and successfully bury them, you're going to get the money that's in their pockets. However, if you kill them and don't get them buried and any police turn up at the inn, then it's going to cost you some money. That's the basic framework of this game. Obviously, all the intricacy and the the actual game is in the cards and how they come out and what they do. But I'll throw that interesting theme at you, Roland. What do you think? I might be in a bad mood from hell at it. May have may have turned me to the dark side. <laughs> the theme doesn't appeal to me. The looks don't appeal to me. The gameplay doesn't appeal to me. This is a hard, hard sell. You like the theme? Theme is like rubbish. Themes are oh, It's interesting. It's not your usual where you're the hero and you're trying to save people. You're you're a bunch of villagers in France, and you've decided. Oh, what have they ever done to you? <laughs> You've decided that, hang on, you know what? We need a bit more money. What can we do? Let's let's build an inn to basically draw people in and rob them and or murder them. Yeah, I'm going back to my original <laughs> What? The- it's very, 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 very macabre, yes. I get it, but it's different. It's different. I just, like, you know. Well, where we just talked about Ulm fading into mediocrity because it's just another Euro where you're building the cathedral or you're in a marketplace and there's a river and a boat. It's different. It stands out from the crowd. Mate, there's an awful lot of themes I could come up with for games that are different, that are unpleasant. (laughs) And I'm going to... The artwork. The artwork. Yeah, yeah. Do people say they like the artwork just because it's different? Or does anyone actually really find it pleasant to play with that artwork uh, i don't particularly like it he's he's got a quirky sort of feel to it but yeah i don't particularly like it and i'm sure but a lot of people do a lot of people really do like it yeah, but you see she asked me to spend like 45 minutes doing something which is i don't want to be doing that playing with cards that are a bit you know, dark and manky looking. And I'm not feeling a happy vibe. Like, this isn't how I want to spend my leisure time. Like, there's, not, there's nothing here. So then you have to give me some meat. You have to say, here you go. This is where the darkness and the theme all come together. And you're really me doing something clever. And, and from the outside, there's a couple of cards. You can put them down as a power or you can kill them. You have to throw away cards to do something with a card. There's a card and there's Cardi McCardison and then Cardi McCardface comes in for, for Cardi Poos. Eh. You're in a bad mood today. It's almost like you've just got up in the middle of the day off a night shift. <laughs> oh, I'm going to I like some of these games. What did I like? <laughs> I like the first two. When you were slightly less pandemic tired. Pandemic Liberia is really good. Like all the pandemic games apart from Contagion, which sucks. You're probably not going to get too much out of me on this one because I have had a few problems. I played it two player and I believe it's better at higher player counts. Now, throughout the whole game, you will only ever have two actions. And in this game, 
that seems very, very light. And normally, it, these those kind of things would be frustrating because you want to do more and you want to do more. But this one, it just felt uncomfortable. I just felt like it would be a better game with more actions if you were able to do... Like in the Terraforming Mars, you do your two, I do my two, and until you're finished. And then you, can, and then you go... I, I don't know, that probably ruined the structure of the game. But I, it felt uncomfortable for me just to have those two actions. It felt like I wasn't really doing anything on my turn, or very, very little. The variety in cards also, Ronan. There, there's very, very little variety in the cards. So the same things are coming up over and over and over again. Very good for learning the game and getting familiarity of the different characters in the game so that you're not constantly looking at an explanation of what does that card do, what does that card do. Okay, cool. But even halfway through this game, I'm starting to get a little bit bored of just the same characters coming up and up and up and up. So that there were my problems with the game. Any comments? I doomy gloomy doomy gloom game is coming with more doom and gloom from Sean. I'm I am out of this bloody inn. I am bloody I am bloody out. <laughs> okay, so the, the bit that I liked about it is that you can only bury your corpses in annexes that you or other people have built and people don't have a choice. So although when you bury them you have to split the cost if you bury in somebody else's annex, you've also got the aspect that you might be just stitching them up slightly because they might have plans for that annex. They might be going on to bury someone in their own annex, get the full cost for it, and maybe you don't have an annex to bury, and it's just stitching them up. So I found that was quite interesting and, and a neat part of the game. But other than that, I'm yet to be sold on this game. Completely just, I'm not sure. I'm not sure at all. Wow, we are, we're not pulling out a lot of hits here, are we? No, it, it was one of those ones. I didn't hate it. I think Natalie did. I didn't hate <laughs> I think I didn't hate it, but I wasn't jumping up and down either, and I really need to play a couple more times before I decide if it hits the old trade pile. Fair enough. Now, do you think it's kind of a result of us doing these quick firing games that we don't want to give bigger reviews to that would be in a, you know, they're most of the games that haven't really hit the mark. They haven't gone either great or awful. They're just kind of a bit meh. because the next one is spoilers. Meh. It's villages of Valeria one to five players, 30 to 60 minutes from Rick Holdsgrave, Isaias Vallejo and daily magic games. So I did card kingdoms of Valeria on a previous episode and I like that game this one again similar artwork same iconography set in the Valeria world for some reason and in this case you're going to start with a castle and a hand of cards and those cards are going to be able to be used as either a building which you can build which will give you some sort of power and points or as a resource which you can utilize in order to build other buildings the currency in the game is gold coins there's a limited pool of them and when you have gold coins and you choose to build a building you place the gold coin on one of the cards that you've used as a resource and it becomes that resource while it's on that card allowing you to build the way you're going to build and everything else is each player on their turn chooses an action and everyone's going to get to follow that action if they choose to. And the person who chose it initially is going to get a slightly better version of that action. So that's going to sound familiar from games like Puerto Rico, San Juan, Race of the Galaxy, etc. What can you do? Get more cards in your hand. 
You can get access to resources by laying down cards upside down and, and putting them in part of your tableau. You can use those resources to build buildings, which will give you powers and give you cards. You can recruit heroes, which will cost you gold. I have to go back in the pool. And you have to have certain sets of buildings, iconography, similar to the domains in Carkins of Valeria, that you have to have certain icons in order to recruit heroes. They'll give you power and points. Or you can get more gold into your system. Cards that you build have either instant powers, constant powers, or scoring boosts, as Sean said in Ulm earlier, exactly the same. You play until any player's tableau is of a certain size, and then you're going to score points for all your cards and any gold you have left over. Some of the interaction, as well as that choosing actions that can follow, when you're building, you can use other people's resources to build things. So what you do is you, you take the gold coins you've got and you can place them on anyone's board or cards and say, I'm using your wood, your stone, my magic, and that's how I'm going to build this wizard's tower. The trick to that is, though, when the gold wipes at the beginning of that person's turn, they retain all the gold coins that's on their particular tableau. So you're kind of passing on wealth and opportunity. What it does mean is there's a bit of a timing to building and that uh, other people can block my resource before I even get a chance to build, especially in higher player games. But other than that, you're pretty much just trying to build up your own tableau and score points as quickly as you can. Sean, Villages of Valeria. First off, even though we had a big discussion about all the similarly named Valeria games all blending into one, I honestly did think you'd made a mistake again. Like, What's he done? Why are you going to pick the same game? We only reviewed it like two episodes ago. What a fool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work, does it? No, it really doesn't. <laughs> it's a quest of Valeria. I don't even know what's unique about quests of Valeria. And their artwork and their iconography is so good. And it's really good that it links through the games. That I think that alone would show people that these are linked games. That you don't have to use that name again and again. But everyone's banged on about that. I'm sure people are bored of hearing about what a terrible idea it is because I don't think anyone thinks it is a good idea. Okay, so two things to put to you. I'm reading a lot of people saying that for what it is, quite a light game. It goes quite long. Thoughts? No. <laughs> Um, when we played it two player and it came in well under half an hour. Oh, really? Oh, okay. No, people are fit. Four and five player and 45, 50 minutes. Oh, no, that's not what people are saying. People are saying it goes up to an hour and a half, etc. God. <laughs> Problem is with the people, not, not the game in that respect, then. You mentioned yourself. It's got a kind of a san juan thing going on is it just the following of the powers because a lot of people are saying it's kind of san juan light and you hate san juan <laughs> san juan just i uh, i don't hate san juan yes I, you I do oh, oh thank you for telling me what i think <laughs> the arguments were that we've had and i said just leave it alone Ronan. So what's it done this to is you not true. <laughs> This is, these are, this is fake news. What are you talking about? I find San Juan a bit dull because the buildings were the same buildings and you, you're all trying to do the same thing and you're all accelerating at the same pace and you're just trying to get to the same. So I kind of, I found every game of it fairly similar. There's only a couple of strategies you can really follow. So that's, that's San Juan, all right? This is, uh, uh, and I'm going to use an even harsher comparison to emphasize my point, where Card Kingdoms of Valeria was Machi Koro Plus, plus. So it was Magic Hero, but there was more decisions and more fun and more to do as long as you had the right player count. And that made it work. This, Villages of Valeria, 
is Race for the Galaxy minus, 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 minus. You can carry on going as many minuses as you want to add. The comparison, yeah, yeah, is just that you follow actions and you're building a tableau. That's it. But some of the stuff you build gives you a slight advantage here and there. So, you know, like the tax action becomes slightly better for you or the resource action becomes slightly better for you. But in Race for the Galaxy, if you improve your explore, let's say maybe a half of all the rest of your actions are going to be improved because someone's probably going to explore. All right. And unless they go in particular production, or whatever. So, so that is a useful power a lot of the time. In Villages of Valeria, because other people control the actions so much, in, in Race of the Galaxy, you're choosing two of the actions that are going to happen out of the five, right? So you have control of 40% at least of what's, what's going to come up. In Villages of Valeria, you don't. You have to wait for other people to choose what's going round and round and round and round and round. So how important your card is, is very much more dictated by the other players than by your own choices. So putting them down doesn't feel that powerful. It doesn't feel that interesting. It's like, well, there you go. I'm good at taxation. And then everyone goes, well, we're not choosing taxation then because I don't need a gold coin that badly for you to get as, as good as I'm getting. So then only when it comes round to you do you get to do something decent. And not only that, there's a certain balance to the game whereby you have to kind of go through, oh, I need another resource, now I'm going to build a building, now I need more cards so I harvest, and now I need to tax, and now I need to... So you're bouncing around the actions anyway. It's not like you can create clever chains where I'm hitting production, ding, 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 because that person's definitely going to trigger trade. It's like, well, we have to go through this route of going through all the different ones. So I'm not building a powerful tableau. I'm just building a tableau of a load of cars that are going to score between one and four points at the end. So you didn't like it? The danger you've got when you link games together, especially by name, is that if you get one dullard, then it's going to affect the rest of the series. We always go back to level seven. The first one, Escape, was a rubbish game. It's affected the reception off the next two level seven games both of which i thought were very good villages of valeria i think is going to drag the other valeria games down because it's just dull oh, oh, you really are in a, a shocking mood <laughs> I just, uh, <laughs> okay I'm going to, my final game and the final game we're going to talk about in this section is capital lux from a Porter Games, uh, designed by Alif Svensson and Christian Amundsen Oosterby. And it's for two to four players. This one is brimming with theme. I don't know what the theme is. Uh, <laughs> there's people, they're in Capital Lux and they want to go to their hometowns or they might go to your, your hometown. I don't know what's going on. There's people and they're in different colours. That's it. So you have four sets of cards, red, green, yellow and blue. And each of them have a home place in this table centre. And the cards are also numbered two to six in multiple copies of these numbers. The players now have a simple choice. Are they going to add them to their own tableau? Or are they going to play them to their home in the centre? That are going to give you additional bonuses. And it affects the scoring and how you score why is that rewards for the players will be given to the player with the highest amount in each color but they must come under the amount in the center of the table the game is done over three rounds and that's pretty much it ronan i played this two or three times and i still couldn't tell you how to play this well (laughs) yeah but let's go back to basics right it's been an up and down 
game for looks so far this episode, all right? Yamatai looks great. In the name of Odin, looks great. Pandemic Iberia looks great. Some of the others don't. Capital Lux, to me, the art style looks amazing. I... <sighs> don't go there! <sighs> I can't, I can't I have the 12th it. game of misery. <laughs> You know what? I didn't even like the arc in Too Many Bones. <laughs> I actually didn't like the actual gear locks. Wow. That I thought they were actually wow. really weird looking. They frightened me a little bit. I'd like okay. um, this one, it, it looks stylish. It looks very stylish. It looks very uh, sort of retro oh, sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. I feel on the edge. <laughs> I feel yeah. uploaded. It was, it was fine. But... It, it, Two minutes into it, all you're looking at is colours and numbers. But yeah, it was fine. I hate you. <laughs> I'm a little okay. So art style. Someone clearly needs to go back to their kindergarten geometry class, though. Tell me how confusing basic shapes are. Go on, explain yourself. This picture is round. This piece of wood is square. Ah, oh, the, the actual um, the little tokens you get there for the for the yellow team, yeah. The yellow faction, whatever they are. All the cards, they're round, but in my hand, they are square. Yeah. Had to be said. What? A little bit of a production (laughs) error, I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you've told us already this episode, you don't like push-your-luck elements. And push-your-luck is a big, big part of this game. There's uh, there's other bits to it, but, but focusing on that particular area, because you cannot go over, because they get those modifiers above that can plus four, minus three, whatever it might be. Uh, did you get on with the push your luck bit where you're trying to build up your own? Area? I did, because you can influence it. You can influence, you can you can increase the, uh, the numbers in the centre of the table, get your rewards for that. You can mess around with things. You, you've always got an option to try and get yourself un, under that sort of upper limit on the table. And obviously the other players are trying to do the exactly same thing, but you always feel like you've got a chance of doing that. With the other push, you're like, it's completely random and it's it's not up to the players. It's up to the game when a card gets drawn or when a cube gets drawn, etc. So it, it's not as stressful for me. I feel like okay. I've got a bit of agency. Do you feel like there's much bluff going on? As I said, mate, I I played this game three times. Three times I came second in the three-player game. I couldn't tell you. I nearly won one of them. And I couldn't tell you how I nearly won that game and why the player that won the game won it. I, I genuinely couldn't. I, it feels like when you, if you're gonna, if you're bluffing, it doesn't really matter. But sometimes the other player do something. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Did he read me? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I enjoyed my plays of it, but I couldn't. I just, I'm lost. <laughs> I'm lost. It's really simple. It's like pure, simple rule set. It is. It's but... draft a few cards, put them there or put them there. How can you be that lost? So, and I'm going to answer my own question a little bit before you jump in. Because, like a lot of really good games, it's a simple rule set which provides a framework for interaction. There's one of my buzz phrases. Really is. You do like a framework of interaction. I do like a framework for interaction. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It absolutely does. And I mean, there are obviously the ways that you're going to stitch each other over, and you you, you are going to be second guessing a lot of the cards you're playing. You're playing face down on the on the table in front of you. There's there's an option to just one of the powers. So obviously people are going to try and double bluff and bluff each other. Or has that person played a minus to that stack or have they played a plus? What are they trying to get? You've got to read what there's on their table. So yeah, 
there's definitely that interaction going on. I, actually, I, I really enjoyed my game of it. I just couldn't tell you how I would ever be better at this game. That's, that's my point. One of the, because uh, again, simple a barrier to entry to me was when you draft, having a memory of the cards that you've passed on is, is really helpful. Because you know what's then in the game in the hand, and and that was a little bit, especially in the first second play, I couldn't really keep them in mind because I was considering all the cards that were getting played, and once I started looking and going, oh, there's a five green in there, and he's got a five green in there. Oh, hold on, what did I pass on? And have they played them yet? And I think that being more familiar with the game and be able to remember the cards, although it's only a little bit of extra information, will help you as well. It's a game that you kind of roll with that confusion of play initially, sort of. And again, it's it's via the interaction with the people rather than the rules. I think the confusion. Uh, you you kind of roll into it, and you start getting a bit more of a feel for it. Maybe. Just going back to your point about the cards, you're absolutely right. You're, like, you're very hard for well, for me to keep track of what I've passed around, unless you're like given a whole hand of yellows, and you maybe take the high yellows, and you know the person next to you is going to have the low yellows. So even though I was a little bit lost in it, I still, as I said, I, I enjoyed playing. It. I really enjoyed exploring it, and it plays very quickly, of course. So I like I like the gradual build up as well. The fact that stuff sticks around, yeah, and yeah, the numbers are getting bigger and bigger, and you can actually set yourself almost like a power base up. But if you do it too well, then people can start attacking that number. You know, is it the pink cards you play and then you take a card out of another tablet and stuff? There's interest there, I think, because it's not just you play around and it wipes. It builds and there's a little bit of progression to it. Yeah, there is. If you can see somebody's obviously uh, very strong in a certain color, then even in that draft at the beginning of the game, you're thinking, right, we can't let that person have any more dominance in that, any more agency to do what they want to do to either center of the table and their own pile. So, you start to say it's a sort of almost negative draft to like take them away from them so that you can now attack that stack. So yeah, no, very definitely an interesting game for sure. Well, for me, Capital Lux, smart, attractive, sexy. I really like it as a little card game. I like it, and I I really want to give it more goes. I think it'll probably be on Natalie's shopping list very soon, if not if she hasn't already ordered it. So I'm sure we'll be having more games of it. And yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to playing it again. Nice little thinky filler. Sweet. Now I'm going to spring something on you here. Do I that. feel like we've been too negative, right, over these 12 games. So how about we fire out our top three of these 12 to say... If you're going to play any three, these are the three I think you should play. What do you reckon? <laughs> I just I, th- I thought it would be good. Keep you on your toes. So I, here's here's 20-second thinking time. I'm going to do my top three, all right? My number three is, I think, going to be just edging out in the name of Odin. It's going to be Capital Flux. I just enjoy it for the quick card play, and it looks great. My number two is going to be Clank with the expansion, with the proviso, that that's going to be a bit of an investment to, to get it all going on. The expansion brings another board as well, so they've both got double-sided boards, and then, so it plays differently, and the map is important in that game. So, Clank with expansion 2, and my number 1, I think it's kind of predictable, Pandemic Iberia, it's a twist on a classic, and, and I love it. So, Sean, I'm sure you're ready. I'm ready, yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, it's a t- it's, it was a tough one between Capital Lux and Too Many Bones for my number three, but I think I'm going to give it to Too Many Bones. It's more in my wheelhouse, as, as you like to say, Ronan. And so Too Many Bones is my number three. I really enjoyed the game with the name of Odin, so that's going to be my number two. Very light and just friendly little game. And my number one, much to your chagrin, is Ulm, Ronan. I really, really enjoy Ulm. Now, now, 
let's clarify here. <laughs> against the gameplay of Ulm, I said they haven't made it a very attractive package to want to get into. I don't know how it plays. I think it's going to be good. Everyone tells me it's good. I'm willing for it to be good. I want it to be good. It just isn't singing my song. You want the moon on the stick. Attractive packages. Gameplay. What do you want, eh? When you set these sort of standards, what can I say? <laughs> well, there you go. That was my number one. Oh. And we will catch you all in the outro. We'll see you in a couple of moments. Okay, so, Ronan, we, you're absolutely right. We were being a little bit negative throughout that. Um, there were some games we liked, but not, not many. That we were discerning, Sean. Discerning, okay. There's a flood of overly positive reviews out there that like everything. We were discerning. If we like it, you've earned it. Right, let's go with that. But to finish That's the episode... <laughs> finish the episode on a, an upward slant... What's been exciting you recently, Ryan? What have you been doing? What are you tickling your fancy in the gaming world at the moment? <laughs> what? You want me to be positive? Okay, I'm going to change my mindset. Change my mindset. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think. Okay. Kind of positive, but kind of negative. I can't switch all at once. Okay. Star Wars Rebellion, Sean, is a really, really good game. Awesome. Right? <laughs> How many times have you played it? Twice. Maybe three times. Yeah. I've played it twice. So why is it when Fantasy Flight Games announced Rise of the Empire as an expansion, I have to have it? It's not. It's a no-brainer. It is, but, I think, uh, the best Star Wars game out there. I, but it is. But why? Like, I've already played the base game twice. I, it's definitely one of those games that I keep looking at it on the shelf going, i got to play that again. I keep telling Rachel, we've got to play this again. She's like, yeah, yeah, it's play. I really liked it. Let's play this again. Never gets played. Now, like four hours, and oh yeah, I've got to, I've got to learn the rules again, and, and I'll start setting it up, and it'll be like, oh, we've got to go here. Don't forget we're visiting, and oh yeah, we do have to do that. Oh yeah, oh crap, I'll put it away again then. <laughs> just, but what I need it. There's no even question. Bling. I need it. It's bling factor as well. Don't forget, it's fantasy flight. It's going to be a lovely production. Oh, it's bloody expansions. What the hell? You know, Lord of the Rings is on its seventh cycle, right? I have every pack of Lord of the Rings, the card game. I have never played beyond something in the third cycle. That's as far as... Because I build different decks and I play them for a few and then I go, oh, that was fun. Oh, I wonder what Aragorn's like. I've got uh, like 24 packs of it I've never used. You know, it's actually a disease. You've got a condition still, there. Still bought the next one. Still Game of Thrones card game. I've played it 31 times the first edition right of lcg i own every card in that game i could have played the base game 31 times it's a condition that's one of the reasons i haven't really got into ccgs or lcgs it's just that i know i know i'd be ended up living on the street because i just have to have everything <laughs> the current I've, i'm only currently collecting lord of the rings and uh arkham horror which I'm behind on them as well, but I've got all the packs, but I'm behind and playing them. And I sometimes tickle a little bit of Android Netrunner. That's all. <laughs> anyway, that's all. Rise of the Empire. No, no money there. <laughs> yeah, God. God. People are going to make tweaks to combat. People have been moaning about the combat in Star Wars Rebellion. Thoughts? This is anticlimactic. This is one of the big no, things. No, it's awesome. Like, that's the most memorable part of my first game. Was that the final battle was so awesome. He's one of those one that creates moments. Like you had one dude against like attacks and all sorts defending, and he, he stayed alive just long enough 
for the rebellion to win it went out. It was amazing. Great. The new the new dude with the bazooka is pretty awesome though. Have you seen the figure? I think you could like take big things out. But uh, so a part of it apparently you can choose. It's an optional rule. They're bringing in cinematic cards, which you can choose to play one each at the beginning, and it's supposed to bring a more dramatic feel to it. But they just look like complete bullshit cards, just like random crap cards. No, I was I was more than happy with the the structure as it was. Yeah. I thought it was really good. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. But anyway, there we go. And it's all themed on Rogue One. Oh, even right? better, even better. Why isn't it in my hands? <laughs> Come on, Fantasy Flight. Three. You know what you've got three. to do. Are you definitely going to buy it then? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Did you? What do you think of Rogue One? Oh, it's an awesome film. It's an awesome film. It tied everything together. It was a bit cheesy in parts, but hey, it's a Star Wars film. It's going to be cheesy. It, it was an awesome last third of a film. Ah, uh, no, you're mad. You're mad. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it all. I enjoyed it way more than The Force Awakens. Well, not way more. Uh, I enjoyed The Force Awakens, but I, I liked, I preferred Rogue One. Yeah, Force Awakens kind of had to follow a formula, didn't it? And it did the job, and now I'm mm. kind of hoping they go somewhere a bit more interesting. But Rogue One, like the end of Rogue One, as everyone knows, amazing. The main body of it. I wasn't a big fan of the main character in Rogue One. I've got to say that. She was a bit wishy-washy and sort of looked like she was pretending to be hard. Yeah. Nah. Whereas nah, in was in Force Awakens, I really like the, the main actress. I'm not buying it. you on that. I'm not buying <laughs> you that. We want to talk wishy-washy characters that pretend they're hard. We're going to have to start talking about Iron Fist, and then I'll just get upset. <laughs> shocking. Shocking casting. Shocking directing. Shocking scripts. Shocking. Okay. Well, okay. So I think it's it's a must-have for both of us, that one. Right, then. Yeah. I've, I've been buying again. Can't help it. Right, the way I've justified this one to myself is that I, I like a bit of Watch Your Game. I think we, you'll agree with that. Watch Your Game, yeah. very, very strong publishers at the moment. It's one of these games that completely fell under my radar. I think a lot of people's radar. It was Asgard. And you go on the, the home website and you see Asgard, they're bright lights and very much part of their game family. But I'd never hear anyone talking about it. I've never seen anyone playing it. So I thought, you know what? A little bit of research, not a lot to be fair, and I bought it. Uh, I bought it from What's Your Game themselves, so it got shipped in from Germany, I think. And yeah, so I'm I'm excited. I'm really excited. It looks like it's a massive headache. There's so much going on, but I think the theme seems to tie in. The graphics are beautiful, and I think there is a very strong game in there. Now we we did have a little chat about this. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. on. Okay, graphics are what? The graphics are what? Beautiful. What? I love I love the art style. I love it. I think it's really, really bright and cheerful, like the cartoony, slight cartoony feel art to the character. Looks like a ten-year-old drew. All the nah, you're nutter. You're nutter. I'm telling you. No. It's the people. Like the background, like the tree is cool. It's very colourful. Like the colourful, you can take it or leave it. Whatever. That's personal. Opinion. I like it. But I when like you it. get to the actual people, they look like a ten-year-old drew them. You're mad. You're mad. You're mad. Are you, how are you going to be with that rule book? I sent you the link last night of the second edition rule book. I'd suggest go with that one. Uh, Asgard was in London or board box for a while, and every now and then people would pull it out and try and learn it from the rule book. And I did used to issue warnings. Don't do it. Just don't don't tackle that rule book. Don't. They were there an hour and a half later crying, just drinking gin straight. Oh, I don't know where anything does. <laughs> I kind of got that feel because I watched a couple of um, YouTube reviews of it, and even even people who would normally just be straight through the rules and you get a feel for what it's doing, 
were really struggling. Like Paul Grogan, who does um, gaming rules vids, uh, he, he's really good at showing you the setup of a game, how it's going to work, and giving you that sort of framework to, for you to then go and learn the game. Even his video, I had no idea how this game was going to play because even he seemed to be struggling to actually get but across. But I think a part of that is because it's got that thing of, who am I? Who am I? What am I doing? What are the gods' motivations? Like, what? what is... There's a theme that's just names. Like, why Why am I... Why is my disc going? And why is that god fighting in there? And it just doesn't seem to tie thematically together. And I think when that happens, people struggle to explain the rules. Hey, but I, but I thought the theme was okay. Like, you know, the gods are warring and the, there's a battle for Olympus. I mean, no, no. The theme like, as a story can be okay. I'm not saying... Yeah, yeah okay. But it's not tying but to the gameplay. The gameplay yeah. doesn't tie into the theme. It's like, why... Why am I making Odin fight there and Thor fight there? And what? Why am I dark side or light side? None, none of that makes too much sense to me. Anyway, there's a game we're going to be chatting about. And I'm going to make you play it. I hope. I can't make you do anything. I'm going to ask you to play it. Millennium Blades. Right? We're going to do a full review of it. I've started playing it. It Asgard has got that thing to me here because it's five rounds of preparation. Asgard, and then you got that final battle. Mm. You have to know how the final battle works to be able to play the five rounds. But until you've done it, you can't... So, in Millennium Blades, when you first play it, because you're building a deck for a tournament, you play a pre-tournament with a pre-made hand. And once you've been to that tournament, everyone knows how to play. They just go, okay, cool, I know how this all works. Now we just start deck building, yeah? I kind of feel like Asgard needs that. You almost have to set up a final battle to show everyone how it works out before you can then go back and teach them the actual rules of the game. Yeah, maybe, maybe. You're going to have to work hard to make me play Millennium Blades, but... That's all you're going to limit yourself to that. You're not going to go in one of your rants, no? No, no. We'll, we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait for the review of that one if I ever do play it. <laughs> the theme sucks. <laughs> what was that? You're an idiot. <laughs> We're supposed to be being positive. Give me something positive. I want to try Asgard. All right. Again, I come across a negative. I want to try it. It seems like it does something interesting. The barriers are there, though. I think you need someone who really knows it well, who knows how the final battle goes, who can. If, if you've got the time, someone to set it up and go. This is how a final battle works. It's five minutes of it. Now here we go. This is how we're going to prepare for it. If you've got someone who really knows the game really well, then I can feel it flowing in and something, and we can explore the the uniqueness that's in there. Mm. It's it's getting the right introduction. I think if it's yeah. not taught well, it can get off on the wrong foot. But I tell you what, of the people that did make it through that rule book London board, most of them came away going, "That was really interesting." I I I need to think about that and, and maybe try it again. So yeah, it's that typical watch your game aspect, isn't it? You always come away thinking, mm, "What could I've done different? How could I've improved that?" And it kind of sticks with you for a little while. So hopefully, it has the same feeling. Ronan, yes, I'm feeling a bit of Kickstarter buzz coming. I know, I know you've been active because I keep getting blamed on on Twitter <laughs> when you back something. So I know you've been a- I've active. Had a, I've had a right old rush of Kickstarter games. Yeah, you've been like, you've been off on one. I know, I've been inspired, but yeah, right. Is a Kickstarter? This is running until the twenty fifth of May, and hopefully we're going to get this out before the twenty fifth of May. I really hope so. <laughs> so so maybe you'll get a chance to have a look at this. This is alone. Now I haven't played it. This is just going on my my instincts, but I'll tell you what's really kind of dragged me in here is that the co-designers between them have designed Dungeon Fighter, Potion Explosion, and Comics. Now, I wouldn't say any of those were 100% successes or huge hits, 
But what all three of them did was they did something slightly different, slightly unusual in what they were doing. In Dungeon Fighter, you're rolling dice and trying to get it on a target in various ways in order to go through a dungeon crawl. Post-Explosion obviously had the match three thing going on with the physical marbles. And Comics was a game in which you were putting together um, comic book panels to make a story and you were judging each other's on certain criteria. And it worked. We played it. It was a few obstacles we played it. And, And that worked as well. So those names attached to something makes me think, oh, oh, this could be a little bit different. Uh-huh. And in this one alone, rather than one versus many, it's many versus one, in that you've got a single hero. Now, they call him the hero, but he's actually like an engineer. He's not a fighty, shooty badass. And they are stuck in a situation where there's many evil players against them and they're trying to work their way through and get to the exit of this it's kind of got a a kind of slightly futuristic bent to it Uh, it's on a map in which all the evil guys can see the whole map behind the screen and they're deciding how to use their points where to put monsters where to put traps but the hero can only see as far as their torchlight reaches unless they they can actually go around and fix lights turn lights on and reveal more of the map but that's all they can see and there's a bit of a memory element as you move to remember where where you've been where the torchlight was where things are as things are put on the map by the evil players they'll sort of ping on your radar so you kind of go oh I know there's something to the north I know something to the east maybe I should go the other way or are they forcing you to go the other way because you've got a limited amount of time to go out and, and do what you need to do and get out of the map there's various things you can find which you then combo to make useful artifacts for yourself to use it just looks different enough to me Sean that I'm very intrigued by alone and I have personally backed it sight unseen haven't played it yeah, well, it definitely is interesting. I mean, I, I, I really liked Potion Explosion. A very simple game when it boils down to it, but I had a lot of fun with Potion Explosion. And, um, yeah, from what I've heard about the other two, Comics and Dungeon Fire, they, they seem to be perfectly decent games. Some people love them, some people not so much. But, yeah, definitely they do things a little bit different and they do sort of push the boundaries a little bit. So, yeah, I had a sniffer alone. I'm glad you backed it because I probably would have ended up doing so. So thank you for oh, that. Oh, did I take uh, off cancel my backing? <laughs> so that's what we do. We literally send each other links in, in, for games that we're not 100% on. <laughs> <laughs> WhatsApp link. Oh, oh, this looks intriguing. I thought you might like it. Well, this might be up your street. Buy it for me. Buy it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm really glad you backed it, mate. I'm looking forward to playing that one. You leech. Oh, another one, Ronan. That there was none of that. None of that trying to get the other person to buy. <laughs> another tiny little Kickstarter success. How excited are you for Brass? I've got nothing to say. Don't talk to me. <laughs> when that game arrives, don't talk to me for a week. I'll be busy. I've already had my biggest victory in that game. I got the missus to buy it for me. Oh, really? For what? Because it's Brass Birmingham. Birmingham. <laughs> I was like, oh, Nat, Nat, there's a game about Birmingham coming out. She's like, oh, let's have a look. Oh, that look. oh it's a Euro game as well. Yeah, that looks good. Buy it. <laughs> Is this the equivalent of WhatsApp linking each other, but it worked this time? Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> I think I actually sent her a WhatsApp image of it. Uh, I managed to, uh, Rachel bought Oracle of Delphi the other day. 
Oh, cool. Yeah, you, you, you had a little snifter at that. Um, I had a snifter. There's another one I played at LobsterCon. I kind of given it away, but I only played it once. We really liked it, but I'm not dumb derailing your brass discussion here. But yeah, Rachel does not buy many games. She hardly needs to, does she? But she bought, she bought Oracle of Delphi. She liked it enough. We're probably going to review that sometime. Yeah, soon. well, I've Maybe. played it. I've played it. I won't give away my yeah, thoughts. Cool. But, um, but yeah, brass. Brass, mate, how good does it look? Like, how, the, Let's talk about the design. <laughs> wow. What an amazing looking game. Uh, I mean, you say, what can make... I've got brass. You know, I own it. I've owned it for a long time. What can make me buy brass again? Nothing. I've got it. Oh, that can. Yeah, it is beautiful. It's absolutely kind of dark and brooding but with those sort of sort of deep, unctuous colours that just pierce the gloom. Un- unctuous colours? I don't even know where you went there. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just pulling out words. Vesperous colours. <laughs> oh, yeah, Roxley Games have definitely done a fantastic job in... Well, I, I hate to do it, but if Ulm had been produced by uh, Roxley Games, it might have been a big hit. Yeah. Yeah? No. It's, it's That's where that's what modern board games need to look like, not that. Yeah. And, no. and they've just made it look fantastic. Obviously with Birmingham, with additional rules, with... Uh, you're just tickling. You're just fiddling me. It's like the pandemic Iberia pandemic, Brass Birmingham to Brass Lancashire. I'm just I'm getting tickled on all sides here. It's a system that you love, slightly tweaked. You're <laughs> likely to love it. You know, I give me a good chuckle reading the. Oh, I was reading the old Kickstarter comments. They're always yeah. worth, they're always worth a laugh because people do get upset about the strangest things. And I think this one actually topped it. Some guy who came in and he had a bit of support. This, that was the funniest thing. Came in and said, "Excuse me, Roxy Games. The only chance you take your logo off the game is ruining the appeal for me." <laughs> the rooster, the, the goggled rooster. <laughs> you rooster-headed. It, it was ruining the game. He was thinking about not backing it because they had their own logo on their own game. Yeah, what Roxy say to that. You're right. We don't want your money. <laughs> You've got bigger problems, mate. <laughs> oh, man. It's the comment section of anything on the internet is where they really crawl out the woodwork, isn't it? Oh, it's like, look, awesome. Hey. Just like it. I love, uh, I love a little scroll through a, uh, a board game geek video. Just a little scroll downwards just to see what people have picked up on. Oh, my God, you lunatics. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it once myself. I think it's in Nations. And there was some discussion. Again, it was a Tom Vassell video where there was... Uh, he, he, the deck he built was unbalanced. You know that thing in Nations where you can bring in other cards, but you're supposed to swap yeah, out safety yeah, yeah, for safety. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember. remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I've become one of those people. But it, just, I couldn't not do it. I walked away from the computer like three times. I was like, no, I have to do it. Actually, if you look on page 21, it's a recommended... It's part of the rules. <laughs> Both proud and ashamed of that moment. I remember being very ashamed that we were related at that point. Yeah, but proud a little bit. A little bit proud. A little bit proud. <laughs> good, 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 good. Oh, oh, I'm all excited now about Star Wars Rebellion and Alone and Brass and maybe Asgard. Maybe Asgard. <laughs> what are we up to, Sean? What's coming up for these people? That's the longest outro ever. It is the longest outro ever, Rona. The next episode, I hope is going to be a very, very special Treasure Hunt episode, isn't it? 
It's games coming out available first time at UK Games Expo 2017. We've got 12 more games to talk about, but it's going to be quicker than this episode because for many of them, there's not that much information out at the moment. So these are the 12 games that we're going to try and get a look at and, and possibly focus our coverage on because we've got a team of four going to the UK Games Expo, myself and my daughter, Eleanor. Yes, and myself and Natalie, who, as, as we were saying, we seem to love. So she'll be back. Yeah, we're going to try and focus on these 12 games, plus obviously everything else we can get our hands on over there. We're producing a UK Games Expo sort of review episode afterwards. This is to whet your appetite if you're going there, if you're not going there, wherever it might be. Maybe keep your ears open for some of these games. Yeah. We're going to be on the Dice Tower booth 12 till 1 every day, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So hopefully you'll see us there. We are going to be in Game Pit podcast uh polo shirts the four of us are all going to have them on there so if you see anyone wandering around with a skull with a candle and dice on it on their left breast don't look too closely um but uh come and say hello and see us and try and grab us we, uh, we're booked for a lot of stuff uh we're helping out with the big wits and wages game for dice tower we've got us bits and bobs going on so i'm not sure how many games we're going to get played in the halls so apologies if you see us and you want to play something we say we're really sorry but but if we have got time we will try and get some things played yeah, yeah, and we maybe will be sticking around for a little bit of the evenings after for some gameplay after then, so maybe that's the best time to grab us. But um, yeah, we'd... but apart from Sheepy, we don't want to see him. We'd like, yeah, we'd love to meet up with you apart from Sheepy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Thank you, as always, Ronnie. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you next time for hopefully UK Games Expo Treasure Hunt. Uh, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself. Gaming goodness galore. If you wish to contact us by email, we are at thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. We have also got a board game geek guild. So find us on The Geek and come and chat to us. That's probably the best place to come and have a little chat and we can talk about whatever you wish. We're here for you. We're also on social media. We're on that. We've got a Facebook page. We are on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast, and we are also on Instagram. If you wish to download the episodes, we are on Stitcher, iTunes, and Podbean. Once again, thank you very much for listening. Music by E. Aaron. Tired boy. Ew.